Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to the Be Unbound podcast. Uh, I am your host, as always, David Rethemeyer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Abraham Chen. Abe, who are we having a conversation with today? Hello, David. Today is an episode of Unbound Conversations. We have Dr. Jeff Myers. For many of you, if you've been around our circles, you know the name Dr. Jeff Myers. But for those of you who do not know, he is uh, the president of Summit Ministries. He is uh, a very prolific writer, written over 14 books, working on another one, which he will talk about for a little bit. He is uh, a trustee of Colorado Christian University. He is also the head uh facilitator, professor for Unbound's Signature Leadership Courses. If you're listening to this episode uh, as we release it, it is right before Capstone, right, David? Yes. A couple weeks, really, before Capstone. So if you're an Unbound student and you're going to Capstone, uh, this will be an amazing opportunity to get an introduction to Dr. Myers if you have not already. Absolutely. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Myers and to please wish you all to enjoy the episode. Well, Dr. Myers, thank you so much for being on this show. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Of course, we're also joined by our very own president and CEO, Jonathan Brush. Very anticipate a conversation with you, Dr. Myers. Let's just start off uh, and ask, yeah, how have you been? What are some of the things that you've been working on lately? Tell us, um, how are things in Colorado? Mm, well, it's well, it's a beautiful day today. We're in spring in Colorado, which means Pikes Peak is covered with snow. And our little town of Manitou Springs is now opened. The, uh, the official word came out a few weeks ago that masks are no longer required which came to news to everybody in town because they weren't wearing masks anyway. But it's been, it's been a great year for Summit Ministries. We've got a lot of interesting projects we're working on, getting students to, signed up to come to our summer programs, two-week programs in Colorado and in Georgia. Uh, we're launching a new initiative for churches this year that'll be a Sunday School Worldview curriculum and also a small group course for adults. And then I've been working on a book that is going to be published, God willing, in October. I should say God willing, paper providing, and printer availability providing, because the supply yeah. chain issues have actually, believe it or not, made it virtually impossible to get books into print this year. In fact, all of our companies printing, we do in either India or South Korea, because wow. it's faster than getting <laughs> it done in Colorado. But believe it or not. So so anyway, all of that's been really great. Uh, I think a lot of your viewers and listeners know that I went through a cancer journey last year. Hmm. And the news so far has been good that my recovery is strong. My energy is coming back. Uh, not that I haven't added a little cup of coffee to the <laughs> afternoon session. Here. <laughs> but uh, but I'm just very grateful. So eight months in remission so far and every day is a gift. That's great news. That is very good to hear. Yeah. So one of the things that we know you from, Dr. Myers, of course, I think you're most famous at the moment for your connection with Summit Ministries, and rightfully so. But in our world for Unbound, uh, we know you primarily as the teacher of the Signature Leadership Courses. 
Um, so I've been in higher education my entire post-college career, and that's coming on more than 20 years now. And so I've seen a lot of classes, a lot of courses on taught in a lot of different settings. And one of the things that I've always been excited about those signature leadership courses is I've never seen a set of courses that so consistently gets this review from students, which is these courses changed my life. Um, and so, you know, people will say college changed my life. Sometimes they'll say some of those things, but it's rare that you have a set of courses that consistently deliver that. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, I'm sure. Um, it's been really exciting in the last few years. I saw two of my children go through the leadership courses. And I can honestly say it's the only courses they took that I saw an absolute difference in things that they did at home. And uh, that's a pretty exciting thing to see. So certainly we're excited about the Signature Leadership courses and we're getting ready to do our live Capstone event with you here in Colorado and, and a few weeks coming. Um, but I was curious, how, first of all, you have to help me remember, how many years have you have you done Capstone and taught the leadership courses? Do you know it's eight, nine, is that right? You know, I, I think I was recording the, the Capstone courses when I came to be the president of Summit Ministries. So that would have been about 10 years ago. Because uh, I remember flying down to the studio in San Antonio mm. in between doing student sessions here. <laughs> so maybe 2011 or 2012. Mm. Yeah. So I, I know one of the students said, are you going to record new courses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and I certainly have learned a lot in the last 10 years of running a ministry. The, the nonprofit ministry space is very different from the business space. When I was a professor, I could take my spare time and and run businesses, and it was you know it was fun. But I could do it whatever I wanted. I was responsible for the revenue and making payroll and so forth. Nonprofit world is very different, uh, but the leadership challenges have been really interesting and in just helping our organization come together culturally and then grow. When I came here, it was it was essentially run as a sort of like a corner store as a mom and pop shop. And to be able to take that from the place where, you know, no budget, we did have savings, we did have uh, buildings and no debt, which is absolutely essential uh, to, to getting a really good start in something like this. But being able to move it into being a more mature organization to expand its reach has been fascinating. Hardest job I've ever had, uh, best job mm -hmm. I've ever had. It's Funny how those things often go together. I think I'm probably sitting in the same position in terms of hardest thing I've ever done and also the most fulfilling, satisfying, exciting thing I've ever done. So it's it's uh, being hard is part of the pleasure of it in some ways, although that doesn't keep me for a few days where I wish that things would go a little easier. I know that when I teach students, you know, it's always a two-way street, right? I mean, I'm delighted to be teaching, but I always come out of those classes having going, oh, wow, I just got a whole new perspective on this. And uh, people say this often, but uh, you know, until you teach, you don't rec recognize how much better you learn subject material until you actually have to teach it, right? You know, you think you did, and then you have to explain right. it. Or what happens sometimes to me is I get exposed. I think I know it, somebody asks a question, and all of a sudden I'm scrambling mentally going, I'm not sure exactly how to do that. So I guess the question I have is, is what are some of the things over this, that decade of kind of having students come through there? We've had the advantage of watching you progress, right? I mean, from the leadership skills you had, and then I've seen this at Capstone, that the, the Capstone content changes every year. And I see it reflecting the stuff that you've talked about before. Um, so I, I just was curious, as you think back across 10 years of having to sort of synthesize your leadership lessons, what are some of the big changes and what are some of the big things that have stuck out to you through that time period? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a huge question. I, I will say that I'm, I'm very humbled and glad to hear that these courses are 
seen by students as something that was a marker that changed their lives because I feel that they've changed mine. I think I've shared with you all many times that the opportunity to put these courses together is one of the professional accomplishments of which I'm most proud. I was really nervous coming to be in this nonprofit ministry that I would be in an office or out on the road fundraising all of the time and I wouldn't get to do what I love the most, which is the actual interaction with people, the teaching. So that has, so having these courses has been an outlet for me. And I'm, I'm very glad to say that the team here is very supportive of it. And my board is very supportive of it. And they've been excited that this is something that, that I get to, they get a better Jeff back when I have a chance to work with students and even the Q and A sessions, my wife, Stephanie loves to sit next to me when I'm, when we're doing those Q and A sessions and just listen. And she, we just find that really fun to do together as a couple, which probably tells you exactly how nerdy <laughs> we are. <laughs> oh, let's not watch sports. Let's do a Q and A on leadership. <laughs> that's a unique culture, right? So, goals, yeah, that's, right? That's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I was just saying that by way of introduction and also by way of buying myself time to think through how I would answer the question of how I've changed. I think I've become more convinced than ever that everything really does, as John Maxwell says, everything really does come down to leadership. But leadership is so much broader than most people realize. People think about leadership in terms of the job that they hold. What does your title say? If your title says that you are a supervisor, a manager, a coordinator, vice president, a president, you're a leader. But if you're not, then you're not a leader. And I think I've really grown in my understanding of what it means to be the sort of person who leads rather than the sort of person who uh, needs a title that has leadership somewhere in it. That has been a, a, a shift for me. And it's, part, it's partly because every single time we do these courses, one of the lead-off questions in the Q&A sessions is, what if I don't see myself as being the main person? You know, the person who's leading the charge. Yeah, is, is leadership still for me? And I think if we can recalibrate and say it's not the position on the field, it's the way you contribute overall to the team. Ask any anybody who's played on a team. They have the player who is the best, and then they probably also have somebody, and it's very often, most often, a different person who's the glue, the person who holds that team together. And it's not, you know, in a professional team, it's not the person who makes the highest salary. It's not the person who gets the most media coverage, but it is the person that everyone on the team acknowledges who, who hold the person who holds all of that together. So that's one huge, huge takeaway from this. And that if I could get one message out to people in this podcast or any other time about leadership is that you're leading right now in, in the way you interact with everybody around you. The only person who never has an opportunity to be a leader uh, of other people is somebody who's a hermit. Uh, but hermits still have to lead good lives themselves. So I guess leadership is still involved. Uh, another big lesson that's that's come through this is, I, I think these courses are a lot, when we first started, I thought, this is my best shot at what I think students will need to work in the corporate world. 
But I, I guess I realized the more we go, these, these courses hit something that people aren't getting in the world of work. They're not, you know, it, a lot of the students who come through, they're working in, in, a, in a lot of the kinds of jobs that a younger person would work in. It's very natural and healthy working in a quick serve restaurant or, you know, in a small business or a family business or something like that. But then they're getting ready to move into the corporate world. And in the corporate world, it's kind of, you kind of have to fend for yourself. Either they, the way they see it, and this is true, even with companies that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, either you got it or you don't. Like we can't help you grow as a leader. Or we don't have time, you know, that you, you have to come in with that. And if not, good luck. Yeah. Right, right. So, so we broke that down in these courses and said, here's what that means. Here's the way to interact with other people. Here's how to be confident of the way you do things and arrange your circumstances so that they play to your gifts. Here's how you continue to learn. Here is how you move from ideation to execution. And all of those things that are so practical, they just don't, they just don't get taught or they get taught in a, you know, classroom. You're going in for continuing education training and you better go because you need the continuing education unit to go to the next step in your career. But they're sitting in a classroom taking notes or not and just thinking, when is this going to be over? But there isn't, it, it's funny how there are companies out there that seem to do well at earning uh, revenue, but not well at developing people. So I became more encouraged as we've gone on. Well, I have, I have a unique perspective on that because I've worked other places and other places that at least gave lip service to leadership. And when I say lip service, it wasn't that they were deliberately falsifying it. It was they, they believed that, but they didn't actually know how to do it. They, they couldn't make it actionable. Um, and then I, I work at Unbound and, you know, I think a 100% of our students uh, and, all, and some of our interns are uh, leadership course graduates. And, you know, we can spend a lot of time, that's not the point of this podcast, saying how amazing that has been. <laughs> you know, I mean, just ideas getting done, ideas going from an idea to reality, uh, the the initiative people take, the responsibility people take. Uh, it really is a pretty fascinating kind of case study and having worked at a place that, you know, was a great team. I, you know, I, I didn't work at a bad organization before, um, but uh, and then moving to another good organization. So I've actually had really great places that I've worked with really phenomenal teams. And then to come to a place where almost universally <laughs> that I've been trained in this, um, it's made a, a significant difference. So I had a I had a kind of a broader cultural question um, that I, I think that you're well equipped to, to answer sort of along these lines. So you have in leadership courses defined leadership as influence, which I think is a particularly useful definition, particularly for the folks that you referred to that say, I'm not, I'm not leading the charge. Am I still a leader? And of course the answer is yes. And Abe knows this plays well into kind of our uh, motto for Unbound, which is to be extraordinary at the ordinary, which basically sounds really cool. But the the hard thing about that is it immediately puts you, puts you on the hook. If you believe that, then the next second <laughs> you have to start being extraordinary. You know, it kind of comes immediately. Um, so, so leadership is influence. But I'm noticing something that I'm kind of deeply worried about. And I noticed it most because it hit me personally uh, just a few days ago. Um, I won't go into all the details of the situation, but basically uh, had to have one of my children go to a, a medical doctor uh, for what I thought was a fairly minor ailment. 
And the doctor recommended a, I thought, a fairly invasive regimen of, of internal medicine that I wasn't too excited about, right? And so I was thinking through that because it didn't seem to me that that was in response to what was a fairly minor ailment. Um, and then my wife said, this person is the expert in this area. And my next reaction was almost a violent, we are not doing that. It absolutely cannot happen. That's not going to, that's not going to go down that way. And my wife looked at me and said, what? <laughs> that, that wasn't a logical response. Like, what, what, what? And I kind of sat there and thought, <laughs> why did I just, there was a, that wasn't a thinking response. Um, to those of you who have taken our conflict communication, I mean, our uh, tactical communications course, it was a, it was a almost a lizard or monkey response. It was not a thinking problem solving response. There was this, in very many ways, I was, there was a trigger thing that happened there. And then I kind of back went through it back in my mind and I thought, you know what? It was that expert thing. When she said expert, I just had this nasty reaction and I did not think that was my mental state. So I was uncomfortable with that. I mean, there may be experts that we could be frustrated with, but for the most part, experts are experts for a reason and listening to them is typically a wise thing to do. So all of that to say, Dr. Myers, in this idea of leadership being influence and teaching leadership, I'm feeling this like deep cultural resentment against anything that looks like traditional leadership. And I'm kind of deeply troubled about the implications for a society that won't recognize leaders. So I'm just curious, uh, you have a, a much bigger and broader perspective in the culture than I do. And so does that ring true for you? And just react a little bit to that kind of idea. Yeah. Well, I, I, it does in a way. I, I, I recognize that a lot of people want to have their lives make a difference. If you ask them, by the time you get to the end of your life, do you want people to be able to say this person made a difference? And most people will say yes. So what would that actually look like? How would you know that you did make a difference? That's a, that's a question that I, I like to ask a lot. It's very difficult, however, to discern that you are making a difference. I mean, you can get really excited about something, you get a big vision for it, but you know, everything comes down to the execution of it. And then when you execute on something, is it does it still look like what you thought it would look like? I tend to be the sort of person who thinks that I'm making a difference when I see momentum. But what if I don't see momentum? Am I still doing the right thing? Am I still putting the right building blocks in place? You know, to use the old leadership analogy, analogy am I putting the big rocks in the jar first? And that's it's extremely important to do, but it's not all that exciting. And I think about that with different people on our team here. I, I really, uh, I think as I came to Summit, I realized I had to. It was very humbling. I was not as good of a leader as I thought I was. I thought that if I could continually cast the vision of what we do as an organization and tell lots of success stories, that people whose everyday jobs involved making that happen would be excited and then they would be better leaders. Leadership is so much more of a ground level effort. But I spent a lot of time helping people connect the dots between what they're doing every day and what's ultimately important and what really does make the difference. Um, because I think that's where that's where most people are. But yes, think, think about the world is so big. I don't have enough Twitter followers. I don't have enough of a Facebook following. I feel like I've been, my generation's gotten ripped off through loss of educational opportunity or lockdowns or whatever it happens to be, that we can always find a, a way to put ourselves in the position of being a victim. 
And one of the things that I've, I've noticed, which I think is really weird that's happened during the last two years of this pandemic is that people tend to think that they are doing something by doing nothing. Like you're being a hero if you stay home because then you're not infecting grandma and she won't die. Right. It, I mean, to be very blunt about it, that if you just do that, if you do nothing, then you're doing your bit uh, as a good citizen. And, and, and that, I think, has created some cynicism because if you, people are out there doing something, well, they're not heroic because they should be home because they could get infected and somebody could die. So doing something is actually bad. Doing nothing is actually good. Of course, this has led to a tremendous amount of unhealth in our society. George Barna last December did a study and found that 75% of young adults say they lack a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. 75%. 53% of them said they regularly suffer from anxiety and depression. So what's the answer? A lot of people say, well, you sympathize with them. They're fragile, and so you just hold them very gently. Uh, some other voices are coming along, and I think wiser voices, and saying, no, the goal of everything we're doing is to build resilience. And once we start thinking more in terms of resilience, then we can begin thinking again in terms of how do I influence other people and create change, which, which puts us back on a leadership track. But a person who's a victim, you know, they'll... It's not just that they are, there are people who are truly victimized in our society, and it's tragic. But when we all take on that victim mindset, it tends to make us think that we are virtuous for doing very little. And the fact that we aren't making progress is proof of our virtue. Somehow we've got to get over that mindset. Well, th that idea of, you know, doing nothing is doing something, but actually the reality is doing something is doing something. And how do you kind of move out of that place of being, you know, inert <laughs> to movement is actually really close related to some stuff that uh, Abe and I have been talking about recently. So Abe, uh, I think you've got some questions along these lines. Yeah, 100%, because um, I love how you put it, Dr. Myers, with the the lack of resilience. One thing as Jonathan mentioned that I've been thinking about is how there is such a lack of motivation. And a lot of times, yeah, it, it is that it's not even that people are necessarily like actively feeling vi victimized or feeling hurt or whatnot. It's just the sense of, um, not being motivated to do anything. I, um, used to work with, uh, students from around the world, high school students. Uh, and one of the things that bugged me the most was seeing how there were students from outside of the U.S., around, again, around the world, who were studying here but were extremely unmotivated to do anything uh, to learn. Uh, they weren't motivated to learn the language, to study. They were here uh, practically because their parents had sent them. And you know, to be completely fair, like there were students who were extremely uh, studious or motivated. There were um, American students who were in the exact same boat. <laughs> uh, I think this is a, a universal issue that we're seeing with young people. So um, speaking on resilience and all these things, what do you think is a key in building resilience 
with all of us in, the, in our young people in our generation today? Well, I'll tell you how we try to do this as an organization. And I could probably think of personal examples as well. But as an organization, we try to anticipate and even encourage failure, not failing because we're not learning. We have to learn, but we try new things all the time. We're always trying new things. And the way I put it, I think, in either in one of the courses or at Capstone is we learned from Jim Collins this, this saying, shoot bullets, then shoot cannonballs. Because you can shoot the bullet, establish the trajectory before you load up the big guns and use all your gunpowder and all your lead in one shot. Uh, but so we're always testing, testing, testing. And I remember at one point thinking, I think I think there are some people in our organization who are afraid of failure. That's their main. That's the main thing that's stopping them, and by consequence, it's stopping us from being everything that we could be as an organization. So we tried to build in the room for failure. We want to try this. And if we fail, that's fine as long as we're learning from our, our failures. So we do after action reports with everything that we do. What did we learn? What could we do differently? What worked well that we want to continue to do? And at one point, it seemed like we weren't our we didn't have organizational learning. Like we did an event and the same mistakes were being made at a similar event that I thought we had corrected three years ago. And it was really frustrating. And the conversation kind of went like this, guys, we do not want to be making the same mistakes over again. We want to be making all new mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you know, don't make the same mistakes over and over again, all new mistakes. So whatever you need to do to just learn and help the organization learn. Was, was really crucial. I think from a personal standpoint, you know, I, as I mentioned, I, I went through a cancer battle last year. And some of the resilience, I think, that came through that is I it was one of it was something I was very mindful of, that I know that to a certain extent, I'm a public figure. So people are what people are watching, a lot more people than I realize are watching how's Dr. Jeff going to handle this. And I didn't want to be too ebullient and you know this is no problem this is yeah. great mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people suffer and I, we acknowledge that that pain is real it really hurts and yes. it's really not fun yes. at all mm -hmm. so you don't want to pretend that it doesn't exist but at the same time how do you put it in context stephanie and i talked a lot about this and one of the things i, I learned from the experience was just lamentations three uh where where Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, said God's mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. And, and going through cancer, it, it brings a focus to it. Death is a fact, right? One out of every one person dies. <laughs> Statistically, you know, death is a fact. Hmm. We don't want to think about it. For for some people who have a secular worldview and don't believe that there's anything outside of this material world, that's a very distressing realization. But when you're involved, when you're in cancer, you realize, is this what it feels like to be dying? Because I I don't know. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel. And it's not so much that you just feel it physically, it's that you feel it almost spiritually and 
and you, you're confronted with it. Oh, I thought I had a certain number of days. I still have a certain number of days, but it might be fewer days than I thought. And so how do I live them? You, I, I began to see every day as a gift. And even when I was with people in the, in the cancer center, I would be asking God every day, I feel horrible going for another treatment. My body is already reacting to what it knows it's going to anticipate. It's psychosomatic, but you know, very real. And I would just be asking God, would you show me how to bless somebody today? Just allow me to communicate God's new mercy somehow to somebody today. Because the main battle people in a cancer center fight is not cancer, it's hopelessness. Think about that, that we all have some, you know, no matter how healthy our bodies are, we're one day closer to death today than we were yesterday. In a cancer center, you're acutely aware of that. And for people whose ambition does not include preparing for eternity, it's distressing, discouraging, depressing. Uh, but there were so many times where you know, I can't solve this person's problem. There are people I went through cancer with who are no longer living. And we knew at the time they weren't going to survive. They were in chemo to prolong their life a little bit more, to give them a few more days of life. So I would do things like I, I, if I had a verse that I had found inspirational, I'd write it on a, on a note card and take it to the cancer center. And if I had a chance to have a conversation with somebody, and I mean, it was easy because we're all socially distanced, wearing masks in COVID and people in cancer, especially toward the end of their treatment, they're so worn out that they just sleep the whole time. Uh, but in the conversations that I had, and it was a lot, um, a lot. I would say, hey, is it ever, does it ever help you to have an inspiring quote or a verse or a scripture or something like that that can kind of help you go on when you don't want to go on? Because I have one of those and I just wrote it on a card and I wonder if you would be want to take it and if it might be encouraging to you. Nobody refused those cards. And, and, and other patients would tell me when I came in, I've got your card right next to my bed. I see it every morning when I wake up. It helps me go on. Well, it's, it's scripture is what it is. Uh, same thing with the people who were the caregivers there. Imagine what that might be like to be in a place where a lot of the people you're serving uh, uh, are very close to death. And what must that be like emotionally? So just trying to think from the perspective of those caregivers and investing in them and finding out what their interests were. And it's, it's really, it's one, here's a funny example. It's totally random, but it, I was in a, um, in a conversation with one of the caregivers and uh, she mentioned somehow out of the blue, I, oh, I, I mentioned the chosen, the show about Jesus put together by Dallas Jenkins. And I mentioned that Dallas Jenkins is the son of Jerry Jenkins. And she said, Oh, Jerry Jenkins. She said, when I was much younger, I read and really enjoyed the left behind books. I, you know, I didn't know where she was spiritually at this point. She didn't ever bring up anything spiritual. Uh, I said, well, oh, that's really cool. You enjoyed those. And, and so I know Jerry Jenkins. He's a friend. So I said, Jerry, you're, uh, the, my cantor nurse said that she loved your books. And I tried to turn her on to The Chosen. And she's going to go home and start watching it. And uh, he said, did you know that I wrote a book about it? I said, oh, cool. I'm going to order a copy. And I'll, in fact, I'll order a copy for her. He said, I'll just send you a copy for her. What's her name? I'll sign it. So I went back to the cancer center with this book. And I said, 
her name is Sam. I said, Sam, this is for you. I remember you said that you loved this author when you were growing up, and he has written this novel to kind of serialize the the chosen movies. And and uh, and and I said, and he signed it for you. And she just burst into tears. All of the other nurses, because it was at the nursing station, they were all they they were clapping <laughs> like this is some huge performance. Uh, but you know, just little things. Hey, I brought some banana bread, or it just it was it was those simple little things that you think this isn't making a difference for anybody, but it is, and it does because it gives people hope that there's something more than the pain. Now, think about how significant that is. In Frank, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, he developed this perspective on how to have a meaningful life. And then he got sentenced to a concentration camp and his family members were killed. He had to really put it to the test. But he discovered in that situation that when prisoners had some some hope, something to live for, they they gained what they needed to survive another day. And when they lost that hope, they died. That many people, of course, many people were killed and tortured in the most cruel imaginable ways. But many people just died from hopelessness. They just gave up. So I'd say if there's anything for this generation, it's that there is something that needs to be stood for. And what needs to be stood for is truth. And it will cost you, but it will bring you the meaning in life that you crave, especially if you see that truth is not just a logical proposition or a mathematical formula, but as scripture teaches, truth is actually personal. It's a person. It's Jesus. You, you started with talking about <clears throat> being failure and failure building resiliency. And um, I, I think a lot about the fact that, you know, in a, in a system where grace is available, that changes everything, right? Uh, we said we had a T-shirt for one of our events that said um, on the other side of fear and that it said failure is an option. And, and the idea was just just that make new mistakes, certainly. Uh, but it's interesting. We say something like that. And sometimes that stays in sort of like a business self-help thing. But for the Christian, it's actually much bigger than that. You know, I mean, in, in a grace filled system, failure is an option. It doesn't mean that you are to celebrate failure, but it does mean that there is room to grow, room to learn, uh, room to get better, even when you deliberately make mistakes, you know, sin, <laughs> there's still room. And I, I think that that's a profound sort of uh, philosophical shift for most people to really kind of connect those ideas and think about the implication of that. I, I don't remember who it was, but they, they, they defined courage as just 20 seconds of pure insanity. <laughs> you know, uh, it, but, but, you, but you've got to take that risk. It's a risk to connect with someone. It's a risk to ask a question. It's a risk to start a relationship. It's a risk to end a relationship. There are all sorts of things that if we are, if we think about it every day, we court failure as our means of, of growing. And pain is the same way. People, sometimes people don't want to fail because they don't want to experience pain. Uh, show me an athlete who was able to attain any level of success who did not experience pain. There's no such thing. Show me a person who succeeded in a business or an artistic endeavor who didn't find it to be grueling at some point and wonder where they're going to get the courage to push on. That's part of the growth process. Well, Dr. Myers, I appreciate it. There's a lot here that um, 
I know well, our listeners will find helpful. I find helpful just hearing it again in some cases and new for the first time. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, tell us a little bit about where we can find out more information. Uh, you mentioned working on a new book, and so we're looking for, forward to hearing about that. And uh, of course, uh, we can we can actually save you a little bit of trouble here and plug Summit Ministries ourselves. Uh, most, and I don't know about all, but certainly a good chunk of our Unbound students have an association with Summit at some point. Um, I'm actually sending Ashley, my second oldest daughter, uh, to you this spring, summer. Abe asked me when it was, and I said, my travel season is so crazy that I'm not sure where I am. And I can't remember what week Ashley's coming, but I do know she's going because I did do the registration. And so uh, so Ashley will be there this year, and she's very excited to that, looking forward to going, going with a friend. Um, and so that'll be exciting highlight there. But But tell us about how our listeners can find out more about Summit and about you and about your upcoming book. When Ashley gets here, just make a deal with her. You have to go up and say hi to Dr. Jeff and say, my daddy said I had to come say hi to you. And that's all she needs to do. And I'll say, who's your dad? And mm-hmm. we can we can, we can can connect. You'll, you'll have fun with Ashley. She is maybe the only person I know that reads as many or more books than you do. So you'll have, you'll have a lot to, to be able no to be connected there. Oh, so. we'll have so much to talk about. Yeah, I... I I love getting new books. Let me tell you what my best fringe benefit is of my job. <laughs> Do you have a book budget? I have a book budget. <laughs> I have a book so, budget. So there's a certain portion and you of know, everybody that listens to this who's just immediately jealous. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a strain on the 10th commandment right now about covening uh, now that you've said that. So. Should I, I? I should stoke that jealousy. Uh, my book budget is huge. <laughs> I can spend thousands of dollars a year on, on books. And it's it's the best fringe benefit. But I read I read the books, not every book that I buy, but you know most of them I read, and I do read a lot. So, uh, but but if you want more information about what we're doing at Summit in our two week programs, you want to go to summit.org. As we're recording this, the programs are full with waiting lists, with two exceptions, I think, the last two weeks of May and then the last two weeks of August. Last two weeks of May, a lot of students aren't out of school yet. Last two weeks of August, students are are either back in school or if they're athletes, student athletes, which a lot of our students are, they've got uh, requirements for fall sports that require them to be on campus every day, wherever they're performing. But they, but those two, those two are still available. Uh, there is a virtual program that's available as well. You can do from home or really from anywhere in the world, and that's a lot of fun for people. So just come to summit.org and check that out. Even if there's not room in the program for this summer or that's not of interest this summer, the resource library that you'll find at summit.org is powerful and robust and it's free. It's available to anybody who has big questions. And that's what we're looking for. We know that you know two thirds of the students who come here, they're kind of, yeah, I'm kind of Christian, but they're not really that committed to it. We're not, we're not saying you've got to be on fire for Jesus to be able to come to Summit. But we do say you need to have some big questions that you're wrestling with. They could be personal questions about life, questions about resilience, questions about God, whatever it is. But we want people who are curious. That's what we're looking for. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And then what I'm working on, the specific book, so uh, all of the uh, elements lining up as far as the printing, It'll come out in October of 2022. And that book is called Truth Changes Everything. So there's a battle right now between the idea of truth, capital T, and the idea that truth is 
small t, that we just have truths. Either truth exists and can be known, or truth is up to the individual. Either we seek the truth or we speak our truth. That's the battle of our day. So what I mainly do in the book is just tell story after story after story in science and the arts and education, medicine and politics and justice and work and all of these different areas about people who believed that Jesus was the truth, lived that out in such a way that they profoundly changed the world for the better. And here's the key, in times of crisis. If you're waiting around for there to not be a crisis, <laughs> I'm really sorry to tell you, you're never going to make a difference. I mean, in all of the years of recorded human history, Will Durant said only 268 years were completely at peace. We make a difference in the middle of it, in spite of it, not because we can somehow get around it. Well, I can very heartily second all the resources from Summit Ministries, um, especially on the website. That's been an invaluable uh, resource for myself. So if you're listening, and yes, if you want more resources, please do check that out. And very excited for this new book, Dr. Myers. Looking forward to it. Um, Good. Thanks. I want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Jonathan, for uh, being on and co-hosting with me. But um, yeah, Dr. Myers, looking forward to seeing you at Capstone. And again, blessings on all the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jake. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. All right. Well, that was a wonderful conversation. Uh, A.B. and I were just talking about earlier that uh, we wish that uh, we could have Dr. Myers for double the length and uh, just have a whole podcast series where we could just be having so many interesting conversations with Dr. Myers. He has so many insights on uh, so many different areas of life, and uh, it's so encouraging to hear from him. So many more questions. And we didn't really mention this in the opening, but again, he is obviously an educator, and but he's also an entrepreneur, uh, a wide range of experience. And um, I do want to also mention, give a big shout out, um, that he has his own podcast, The Dr. Jeff Show. So if you want more <laughs> Dr. Mars right away, uh, we'll link the show in the show notes below. Do check it out. Absolutely. And if you've been hearing about all this and you would be interested in taking a look at the leadership courses that we have talked about that, uh, as Jonathan mentioned, have consistently uh, gotten feedback from students who have said that it has been uh, life-changing for them. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Abe, but for me, the leadership courses were absolutely probably the highlights of my uh, undergraduate degree and that just how impactful they were. So if you would like to learn more about those courses and the Ascend program that we have that uh, the leadership courses are a part of, uh, please visit our website, beunbound.us slash ascend, where you can find out more about uh, our higher education college program that allows you to get real life skills, real leadership skills that you can use in the real world to prepare for life while earning a college degree. 100%, David. And I will second you really quickly. The leadership courses L1 through L3 were the most practical courses I ever took. Uh, I mean, highlight, I think for me, would be an understatement. I, I, I mean, they genuinely changed my life. And so I'm one of those students 
who uh, <laughs> is saying that during the episode to Dr. Myers. But yes, uh, if you are an Ascend student, again, you will be taking these leadership courses. If you are not yet in college or considering college, uh, looking for routes in higher education, uh, we have a course called Navigate. And I do want to note, um, it is, hey, a, a confusing time being in your late teens, all right? Everyone's asking you about college. If you want to go to college, is that necessary? What you want to do with your life? Navigate is about big questions. And this is a course uh, for both high schoolers and college-age people, really anyone uh, who wants to dive into these big questions, way more than just college, way more than just what major to choose. If you want to learn more about how to ask big questions, how to ask them in a God-glorifying way, and what that looks like, check out Navigate. Um, it is on our website at beunbound.us slash navigate. Well, we very much appreciate you taking the time to join us for this episode of the Be Unbound podcast. While you are here, we would very much encourage you to check out some of our other episodes. This was an episode of Unbound Conversations, where we bring on guests who bring a little bit of a different perspective to what we talk about here at Unbound. If you want to learn more about what we're really about, our educational philosophy, highly recommend you check out our Unbound Talks series, uh, our episode that will be concluded including our series on the Ask, Understand, Do, Live model will be coming out next week. Be sure and stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to hear more from some of our students, uh, some of those who are going out and living out the concepts that we talk about here in different career fields, make sure to check out our Unbound Pursuits series as well. So thank you all very much for listening in. And as always, be unbound.